0: This is another episode of the Confessions of a Recovering Landlord podcast, where we often confess more than just what your landlord doesn't want you to know. I'm your host, Jan Gibbons.
1: And I'm Bob Gibbons.
0: And we have got a bevy of topics for you today.
1: Let's get into it.
0: What's our first topic?
1: Well, we have all kinds of information here that's going to talk about basically reduced demand for office space.
0: Let's get the depressing stuff over with.
1: (laughs) So uh, it was interesting. I saw two separate articles that talked about two different companies that had now announced major changes in the way they're going to handle their workforce. So
0: these are really small companies, right? Yeah, I wish. P and W and C, that's a that's a mom and pop joint, right?
1: Yeah, a little little company called PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC, and also GlaxoSmithKline, big old pharmaceutical company. Hello yeah. drugs. So it was interesting. Glaxo just uh, they have a big office in Philadelphia and they just negotiated to reduce their footprint there from 208,000 square feet down to 46,000 square feet. And, I mean, that's just yet another indication that after more than a year of remote work, some companies are saying, you know what, we're just going to make this permanent. And um, it was interesting because they had um, signed a lease for 15 years that goes through 2028. And uh, so basically that means that with this new lease, they're going to have to try and sublease the old space.
0: The way we have a glut of, of uh, sublease space, how does this make sense for them? Did they get such a screaming good deal on their new lease that this actually makes sense? This sublease could sit vacant for years. Yeah,
1: it probably could. But, I mean, if, you're, if, if they're taking advantage of an opportunity right now to lease only 46,000 square feet on a long-term basis, 15 years, and they're getting a great deal then the remaining, what, six years left on that other lease, they're betting they're going to be able to sublease that at some Resting. point, at yeah. some discount. So, you know, in the big scheme of things, they're saying it's going to reduce their overall cost to some extent. So, yeah, it it's pretty interesting. They also had uh, space in the the Research Triangle Park in North Carolina in Raleigh-Durham area, and they also reduced their, their lease there. And uh, so, yeah, it's just... Another indication of what's happening here.
0: Well, it's kind of like what we talked about last week with the federal government reducing their footprint all over the country.
1: Well, the other thing was interesting. We mentioned PwC. So they have said basically that 40,000 of their employees, which they only have 55,000 to start with, which, you know, only that's a big company. But they have 79 offices in the U.S. with 55,000 workers. And they have now announced that 40,000 of those people can permanently work from home full-time.
0: Well, it also says that a maximum of three days a month for critical team meetings. That's coming into the office. I'm sorry. I was reading there like maybe I could apply there and just work three days a month. It it meant coming into the office for exactly. But that's an extremely low number to me.
1: Well, what was interesting is they basically also said that we plan to continue to optimize our office footprint across the U.S. and in New York City while honoring our lease commitments within each city. Optimize. I love that word. So, well, it was, what was funny is everybody's, you know, wringing their hands over, well, what does this mean for their office footprint? Are they going to keep all their office space? Well, how do you let let 40,000 people work from home, leaving only 15,000 to come into the office and think that you're going to keep your same footprint? So their language in this thing while honoring our lease commitments
0: Meaning they're going to sublease it. They're going to keep paying their main they're rent. They're going to be, yeah. But yet once again, those expire, they're not going to keep them. No.
1: Not a chance. So, But
0: honoring our lease commitments, that's what you've done in the past. I made the commitment. I'll honor it. They're not saying what they're doing in the future,
1: but I can tell you, I have a crystal ball. <laughs> well, you, gotta be, you got that right. Well, all right. Following up on that, um, so in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, a brand new office building was announced. Of four hundred thousand square feet, twenty-four story in Plano's Legacy West development. This is, you know, not far from where we live, in our office. So this is a company called Ryan Ryan LLC. It's a tax services and software company, and uh, and it's going to be right next to a building that's being built for Riata Pharmaceuticals. No relation to Riata Commercial Realty that we own.
0: Darn. I'm sorry. Go on. Yeah. Well, I just wish Riata Pharmaceutical had <laughs> had the wisdom
1: and foresight to hire Riata Commercial Realty to work <laughs> right. with them, but they didn't. Their loss. But anyway, so we have these two brand new buildings. One Riata, uh, the building for Riata is already under construction and is almost finished.
0: And it's a it's a
1: one um, single tenant building. Thank you. I think it well, is pretty, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. The other one. The new
0: one is 50 percent leased already.
1: Well, yeah, I mean you're talking about the the one that well, just on got Legacy announced, West, right? Yeah, so the one that's just been announced. Those are it's on the same the same development. So there's a pad there or a, a site there that has multiple buildings uh, available. The first building was built for Riata. The second building is a 50% percent pre lease to R- to Ryan, but then as you point out, it's got a lot of space left to lease to other other uh, entities. So and I thought it was smart though. Um, the developer is leasing the first, I mean, the lowest floors in the building to Ryan, and their whole and the rest of the floors up high, twelve through nineteen, are being held for other companies. So,
0: are those floors more desirable? Is what you're saying? You have a better view. You know,
1: it's interesting you ask that question because historically, the higher the floor is, the more desirable it's mm-hmm. deemed to be. With COVID, I've heard some people say just the opposite. They don't want to be on that elevator longer than they have to be. So Walk the stairs. Well, it's <laughs> interesting that, you know, here you have a situation where you have a high-rise building being built and companies willing to lease that. So in some ways that's saying, hey, companies are out there and they are willing to lease in that kind of traditional office building. On the other hand, this is also a story of, two companies that are going to be moving out of existing office space, older office space, older inventory. So now they're moving to the nice new shiny thing, but guess what? They're leaving vacancy behind. So this still is going to create vacancy in the marketplace. Now there was no comment here on that. I saw on this about what square footage they're going to occupy in the new buildings compared to what they're leaving. So I don't have a, um, an idea of what that's going to look like in terms of net absorption, Mm -hmm. but um, in any case, It's just yet another indication that uh, they're taking occupancy away from existing buildings. And then the third thing that I saw that was interesting that all kind of comes under the same heading is we work. Oh, I
0: thought that was pronounced. We don't work. Is it (laughs) uh, my bad?
1: We want to work. We want to make other people work so we can (laughs) get rich. So we work has been trying to, you know, deal with the aftermath of the, Adam Newman era, Mm -hmm. and um, you know he's been gone for a while. And COVID, it was a double whammy combined. Mm -hmm. So they've been trying to work out um, leases, and they have gotten rid of 150 leases, exited 150 leases. What exactly that means—buyout or walked it or whatever—who knows? And they've done 350 lease amendments. and Now they have what 600 and what was it? 629 leases or locations around the the world. So, 350 amendments on 150 exits, that's 500 of the 629 that they have done something to. And that also means that they have shrunk their office space, their total square footage, considerably. because. But they, weren't
0: they already working on that before COVID? Because while it was a great idea, it was way oversold, people did not come
1: flocking to it like they thought they would. You know, the exact timeline, I don't really remember, but I know that... Well, SoftBank came in to basically bail them out. Well, they were their, their biggest investor to start with. But um, I don't remember exactly the timing of the Adam Newman stuff. Mm. And, you know, they tried to go public and then that fell apart and then COVID hit. So there was an awful lot of stuff that all happened at the same time. Um, you know, they, they had 916,000 desks in their ecosystem at the, before coronavirus. And they're saying that they have only $730,000 a day. Uh, so they've shrunk some. I don't know what that is in terms of square footage. But they still have a loss. I mean, they're quoting a, a estimate of a $1.46 billion loss for 2021. And yet they think they're going to have a $243 million profit in 2022. But then,
0: I love optimism, don't you? Well, yeah, because they said they were going to—
1: they said they were going to have a profit in 2021, and now it's a $1.5 billion loss. So, anyway, it, it's it's interesting. They laid off two, 2,000 staffers. They cut their rent bill by $400 million.
0: And yet the thing that's interesting to me is this is a segment of the market that people are saying the aftermath of COVID wants more than anything because the number one thing people want in their leases is flexibility. Flexibility. And this kind of co-working environment gives that to you more than anything else. That is true. So I kind of see their reason for optimism, and I kind of don't.
1: Well, they say the occupancy of the number of desks that they have is 60% currently, and it was only 75% before the pandemic. So it already had a fair amount of vacancy before the pandemic. But again, predictions. They're predicting their occupancy will hit 74% by the end of this year, 2021. And they'll be at 86% by the end of next year. So they're at 60% and they think they're going to make up another 14% by the end of 2021 in two months.
0: Well, but remember how people were so gung-ho of Labor Day. Kids are going back to school. Parents are going to get back to work. Q4 is going to look fabulous. And then hello, Delta. Right. So... I don't know if those predictions were made before the full wrath of Delta. Now, granted, we're in another slump. COVID is very much on the downslide right now, but they keep saying it's like a two-month cycle. Right, it goes down, then it crests, and it goes for every two months. So, if this goes down like it continues to do, and they can really push marketing till the end of the year, maybe.
1: Yeah, but no, I, I don't buy it because can't they get were-
0: that much growth and well, that. they
1: were only at 75 percent occupancy before yeah. the pandemic so now they're going to be at 74 now granted they've they reduced have, the number of their in right and their locations so maybe they're going to be able to take some of those members and push them to other locations and maintain some of that occupancy well
0: and i don't know how much press you've seen on them but they're trying to make their market more desirable they're giving you more amenities i believe they're reducing their price The problem I had with them is she's ugly. I just did not like their layout. I like other co-working places much better. Right. This felt like a maze, a rat farm. I just,
1: I didn't like their layout personally. Well, I mean, it it was a bunch of offices with glass, and I I, I called it people in aquariums. Yeah, I got claustrophobic.
0: It just, it didn't work for me.
1: Yeah, I've never, I've never been as big a fan. So all of this kind of, comes to the question of what's going to happen to all these office buildings
0: i know i know
1: what what is your prediction
0: well we're seeing them retrofitted to become apartments yeah
1: and what's interesting about this is that this has been happening for a long time i mean downtown dallas has had several high-rise office buildings converted to apartments
0: and hotels or and hotel yeah. on the
1: bottom apartments on the top exactly uh, one main place, um, the old Interfirst building.
0: Oh, remember the old main uh, post office is now yeah. condo living.
1: Yeah. Well, there was an article we saw that um, was talking about convert uh, commercial space, not just offices, but commercial space being converted to multifamily. And they were saying that by the end of twenty one that twenty thousand units were gonna be you know, available that were previously non residential buildings. And forty one percent of the rental apartments created through this adaptive reuse were formerly office buildings. So that's how do you
0: get the plumbing for an office to become a home? I gotta have a dishwasher, washer and dryer, showers and every I
1: mean I that makes a big difference. In fact the the old uh, the city place buildings that have struggled down on Central Expressway mm-hmm. just north of downtown, they were bought, uh, or they, it was bought. It was, It's a single building. It was supposed to be You keep thinking
0: of the second one that's going to get built with that's the car That's never going to be built. <laughs> the skywalk.
1: But some people bought that with the intention of converting it to apartments. But um, my understanding is that the reason they couldn't do that is because they couldn't find a way to get the additional plumbing yeah. necessary for residential, not just for the supply, but for the... Um, the, the, um, what am I trying to say? The actual drains, pipes and the, the everything sewer and yeah. the drain part. So yeah, that that's, but you know, in some buildings they can't handle that. It just sort of depends on how the building is set up. But, um, anyway, so I thought this was interesting, but they also were saying that even older industrial facilities, uh, hotels from the past were, um, were candidates for this. And the top market for these conversions was Washington DC, um, so anyway, I I don't have a whole lot to say on this other than that it's it's interesting and they're also saying that renovating an existing building is can be thirty to forty percent less costly than a brand new construction from the ground up. So it can, can make a mm-hmm. lot of sense. You know, not in every situation, but in a lot of them. So how
0: does this affect our next topic?
1: Well, I mean, so there was an employer survey that I saw that was interesting. Um, the, um, the summary of it was basically that workers are increasingly becoming more assertive in their demands for higher pay. And so there was this national survey of 800 recruiters from a company called JobVite, which is kind of a weird one, recruiting software platform. They found that in the past year, they've, they've seen significant increases in salary negotiations And consequently, wage increases. So, 73% of the recruiters reported a modest increase in negotiating for higher salaries, up more than 20%. And 48% reported average salaries in their industry have increased by more than 10%. So, it sounds like maybe employees are getting a little more bold, feeling like in this environment where they're maybe they have a little bit more opportunities to negotiate and make demands, not only for I want to work from home either full-time or part-time, but you know what? You're going to have to pay me more as well.
0: Okay, so I have to feel like there's outside drivers here because if I no longer have to come into the office, I don't have to have a wardrobe. I can have my fuzzy slippers and my NAMAs. Right. Um, they're not paying a desk cost for me. They're not supplying the coffee room for me. They're not air conditioning my office anymore because I'm not there. I mean, what is driving the demand for higher salary if... I'm no longer commuting. I'm not, I mean, I have my own ideas. I want to hear what you have to say.
1: Well, and what you're saying is what some of the companies that are doing this have said is, Hey, if we're not going to have to, if you're not gonna have to do all this, and in some cases you can move anywhere you want in the country, why should we have to pay you? Why shouldn't we take, you know, if you're moving from Silicon Valley to Chattanooga, Tennessee, why should you continue making the same amount of money? Shouldn't we take that away from you? And, Yeah, you could make that argument, but what kind of an employee are you going to have after that? Are they going to be happy? Now, what if I'm in Chattanooga and I want to move to Silicon Valley? Well, they're not going to pay me any more. That's my choice. Mm -hmm. So it it gets to be a problem. I Um, think
0: part of the problem also is that too many people don't want to work. They're either on assistance or during the pandemic they figured out a different way to make a living their side gig got more productive whatever but I also feel that there's just not as many qualified candidates out there anymore and the ones that are are going to command top dollar because I know the nine people behind me applying for this job don't have near the chops I do.
1: seems like everybody's looking for a unicorn. Employees. And so, yeah, those people that are in, out there, I mean, we're looking for somebody, we're looking for several somebodies and, um, and we have a paid position we also have commission positions and. Well, I they're w- both paid. <laughs> well, it depends on whether or not somebody does the work right. necessary to get paid. But I was talking to somebody and I'm, uh, and, and the question came up of what are you paying per hour? And I mentioned the word, the, the, the amount. And I Everybody I've talked to up to now was like, okay, yeah, that works. This person's like, oh, well, all right, maybe we better talk about the commission position after all. And I was like, okay, I hadn't hey, heard about this. <laughs> good. I was excited about that, obviously, because I yeah. think I would rather hire the commission person. Yeah, But anyway, back to this. Um, this is actually Gallagher that created this um, um, the survey. And uh, they said that 49% of employers – provide their staff with the ability to telecommute, and 54% allow them to have a flexible work schedule. So companies are, are offering that. So anyway, it's, it'll be interesting to see, but I, I think there's definitely going to be a situation where a lot of companies, at the time that their employees are demanding certain things and they're trying to decide what they do with their offices, one of the arguments that an employee can make is, hey, you're not going to have to have the office anymore, therefore you're reducing an expense Mm-hmm. Give that Pay to me, me in the form of salary.
0: Well, and one thing that was kind of interesting to me, and I'm not sure it's still going on. Um, I'll find out this week. I'm seeing my friend, but she works for a large, large insurance company and insurance broker. And she's been from home now a year and a half. And she does go into the office occasionally. She's manager of her department, and she has to go and do some things. But she says, it's a nightmare. I don't want to go. I said, why? And she goes, if you're away from your cube, your desk, your office, you're to be masked. They have created arrows on the carpeting of how she can walk. Oh. Because you have to walk in this fashion of it's one way. Yeah. And she said, so I can go, need to go to my assistant's cube, which is two feet over. But I have to walk around this way. Well, of course, she's not doing it. She's walking the two feet. But she said, if my boss is in, then I have to do it. She said, I go into the break room, there's nothing there. If I wanted a snack, it's because I brought it. No coffee service, I have to bring a thermos with my own coffee, I have to bring my snacks. That seems like overkill, given the fact that
1: there's really been no proof that coronavirus can be transmitted through surfaces that you touch.
0: Uh, It's interesting are they now? This was when she told me that this was going on. This was back in the thick of things. I'm not even sure we had a vaccine at the moment when that occurred. But I'm also wondering: Are they doing it to discourage people coming into the office? Oh, you can come in if you want. I don't.
1: There's I don't think the, so. I, I mean, back then, I, I think when you had that conversation with her, that was still 2020. If I remember correctly, it could correctly. have been. So, I'll, I'll
0: definitely ask her this week um, it, what the situation is because I know she still goes in occasionally. Sometimes she has meetings. She has to prepare physical stuff for her producers to take out to client meetings,
1: that kind of thing. Well, we have another client that's an insurance brokerage firm, large one. And I was in their office uh, a few weeks ago. And they also had the the thing where if you're not sitting at your desk and you're walking around the space, you need to be masked. But if you're sitting at your desk or if you're in a conference room, you don't. With 14 other people. Exactly. (laughs) But they didn't have any kind of, um, you know, arrows on the Floor or anything like that. Now I didn't go into their break room, so I don't know what that looked yeah. like. But um, anyway, moving right along. So I um, let's let's get into talking a little bit about you know some market information, um, you know stats and stuff. Uh, leading into this, though, I thought it was interesting that CBRE, one of the giant commercial real estate firms in the U.S. and throughout the world, they have some sort of new measurement tool that they're using to try and You know, search for signs of life in the office demand.
0: It's this new slicer dicer from Ronco. But wait.
1: (laughs) The key ingredients are tenant office searches, leasing activity, and sublease availability. And so they're putting those three things into their magic formula, which they do not disclose how that's determined. Well,
0: wait a minute. Let's describe these.
1: Tenant office search.
0: Do I just happen to stroll across LoopNet to see... Something I want to know is that considered a search?
1: I think in their thing, in their um, formula, it's the searches that are actually occurring with their brokers. Okay,
0: now what is leasing activity? Well, you actually toured
1: this space. Well, no, leasing activity is leases that have been signed. Oh, okay. So, but leasing activity is not net absorption because leasing activity is you have a hundred thousand square feet, you sign a lease to renew that, that's a hundred thousand square feet of of, of uh, activity, okay. but it's zero absorption because gotcha. there's been no change in occupancy. Okay. And then sublease availability is just what, what it sounds like, It's how much square footage is available for sublease. So, you know, well, in fact, I should have read this. CBRE considers uh, known tenant searches for office space in a market to be the most predictive of emerging demand of the three factors it considers. So on that basis, they said that Dallas-Fort Worth, Atlanta, and Boston between the end of July and the end of August, so basically the month of August, um, those were the three markets that had the greatest um, signs of life and activity and and the future of office space demand. Uh, they also said that Dallas, Fort Worth, and Atlanta were two sunbelt cities that climbed on the tenant market search criteria, reached their index levels of 90% of what they were before the pandemic.
0: Okay, I on the slicer and dicer here, how much of this is people in this area renewing their lease, moving from one building to another, versus Tesla moving to Austin and these big companies we're getting from out of state?
1: Dunno. Okay. Dunno. I mean, because they don't they don't go through the details no. of how they're coming up with this index. Or measurement tool, whatever. I, I don't know how they're weighting them or exactly what goes into so it. So it gives
0: me no confidence in their report because I mean, Charles Schwab didn't they take a million square feet in South Lake? Something like that. Okay, so West Lake. You you pull out one company like that, and boom, there goes a lot of your numbers. So I just
1: yeah. I mean, I I think all it seems like that article was saying was that it's a way for them to compare markets. Yeah. So it's not really doing much to say uh, how is it changing from one month to the next necessarily. I mean, you can see how the market's change from one month to the next in, in terms of their ranking, but really, can you, do you have confidence in saying, all right, in September, how did Dallas-Fort Worth compared to the August number? You know, I, I, it's hard to say. Um, but there's a company here in Dallas-Fort Worth called Younger Partners, and their director of research is a guy named Steve Triolet. And he wrote an article in the uh, D commercial real estate magazine about market conditions. And um, and I thought it was interesting. He said, in fact, I'll say I was impressed by his article because it seemed to be more honest hmm. about the conditions than what we've been seeing in the press.
0: Honest and commercial real estate. Are we still on the same podcast? We just, are on okay. the same podcast.
1: Okay. And in fact, I called and talked to him because I uh, I felt it and his article was titled Time to Face Rate Movements Ahead. And, uh, And so basically he started off by saying landlords are hesitant to lower asking rental rates until they feel they're being eliminated from consideration by tenants on touring space. And he said that's one of the primary reasons why rates... Are a lagging indicator in comparison to other market statistics like net absorption and vacancy. Because net absorption and vacancy happen as people do things, but it doesn't mean that the landlord's gonna react right away. But as soon as that landlord realizes, hey, there were five, I was one of five, then I was one of three, and then I got eliminated, well, all of a sudden that may be, all right, that was because of rental rate, and now I've gotta be more responsive to that. So I thought that was pretty interesting, but he also says tour activity has picked up. And, uh, and yet the activity, the, the rental rates have gone down. And he said in DFW specifically, after six quarters of the market turning due to pandemic induced recession, asking rates have shown their significant first significant dip. And um, And so, you know, everybody else has been trying to find ways to put a positive spin on that. And I really felt like Steve did a good job of, showing the good and the bad, you know, yeah, there has been an increase in activity, but you know what, this is on the heels of six quarters of not so great news.
0: Okay. When you say asking, uh, average asking rates, is that from landlords or does that include the
1: sublease market? Well, good, good question. Um, I don't know the answer to that, but I,
0: I'm thinking it's just first gen. It's I, not sublease. Yeah, direct stuff. space is my bet. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I'm not sure. He also made the observation that new Class A construction deliveries, new new buildings that are coming online, because everything that's built new is Class A pretty much. Those are coming out of the ground with really high asking rates, and therefore the because they're COVID free. <laughs> because um, the Class A stuff the rental rates, average rental rates on, on class A have held up very well, very high, but the class B have been falling because nobody's building class B. I mean, who builds a class B building? It's always class A when you first open it, right? So his point was that because of all the new construction, that's helping to prop up the the perception that the class A rates are high. And, uh, and so we actually mentioned that Historically, the difference between Class A and Class B rents have been about $5 a square foot, but they're about $9 a square foot right now.
0: I still have to feel like that's because the new buildings are built COVID-proof, and let, let let me just say... They're designed for more space between people. They have those self cleaning elevators. They're also the perception is people think, oh, it's a COVID free building.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you that they think nobody's right. been there before, therefore right. it's going to be more pristine. I don't buy that. Um, yeah, I I think that it's more expensive to build a building than it has been for a long time, and I do think that's a big factor in all of this. But uh, I don't I don't think it has really anything to do with that fact that they're more COVID resistant than an older building, because that's really more a function of how you clean the building than anything.
0: Well, it's also the way it's laid out, though. I Uh, mean,
1: I don't I don't agree with that because it's a big box. It's a big, big rectangular box. You can pack however many people in it you want. It's that's a function of how you lay out the furniture, not the building.
0: Well, but I'm also thinking maybe the stairs are more friendly rather than just a fire escape so that people that don't want to be in an elevator can climb the stairs. I'm just thinking it may be retrofitted in ways you're not thinking about. Uh,
1: Perhaps. I just haven't seen any evidence of that.
0: You know, self-opening doors, this kind of thing. The bathroom's retrofitted to where everything is touch-free. Whereas in an older building, you're still going to have to pull the handle.
1: And... Yeah, of course. A lot of the older buildings have been uh, retrofitted to be yeah. touch-free as well. They have the you know the motion sensor for the lights when you walk into an mm-hmm. el- uh, into a office, that kind of thing. I did pull up um, the um, CoStar numbers to kind of compare to what Steve's article showed, and uh, and I found some different numbers than what he was showing, but he said that he's taken the COSTAR numbers, he's removing anything that's considered medical, which medical office is part of the overall office category within COSTAR, some data centers, he's removing um, some other things like that. So um, the delta between uh, what's shown in Class A and Class B on COSTAR is only about $6 a square foot. He's showing $9 a square foot. And um, what was also interesting is the – Rental rate, CoStar showed, was for Class A down 0.2%, but for Class B it was actually up 0.9%.
0: Okay, I've got a question. Since most office buildings over the last four or five years have been transferring from a base rent to a triple net, right? and by moving to a triple net, your base rent lowers. Yeah. Isn't that skewing these numbers just a bit?
1: It shouldn't, because... CoStar claims that they are making that adjustment. And so these numbers are supposed to be full-service equivalent numbers. Okay. okay. I personally don't totally believe that. No. But I think that they are probably consistently incorrect. Or <laughs>
0: <laughs> we have a lot of friends who feel that way about CoStar.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, they're doing their best. And so I'm just saying it's it's a very difficult thing for them to do. So I don't think that the change has, um, the numbers they're reporting today compared to the numbers they reported this time last year, I don't think today's have any more error as a result of that issue than they did before. So I don't feel that we need to worry about that too much. Um, Let's talk about sublease real quick. So when I looked at those class A and class B rental rates, I also happened to look at the class A and B Uh, absorption and sublease amounts. And the absorption for Class A was negative 1 million square feet in the last 12 months. And for Class B, it was negative 595,000 square feet. So, and it was also interesting that um, the difference in the direct rental rates versus sublease rental rates within Class A was $6. So people with subleases were discounting the rental rate by $6 a square foot in class B, it was only $3 a square foot. Now as a percentage, however, that I didn't get the ability to calculate, but um, if you, well, I mean, if you look at $3 as a percentage of twenty four fifty versus $6 compared to 32, 38, which is the average class a rate, you know, the, what's the, the difference? I would say that the, the, uh, Class A rates are creating a a greater percentage discount, but then overall Class A has a 25.7% availability rate, vacancy rate, versus only 18% for Class B. So you would expect that uh, Class A would have to discount a bit more as a result of that. On a national basis, though, um, there are now, as of the end of September, roughly 205 million square feet of sublease space available in the U.S., that's a massive number, so and a I've slight got, drop from the prior quarter.
0: I've got a question to ask, and I think you've alluded to this in prior episodes, but with all this sublease space, you're assuming it's not going to be renewed by the tenant who is on that lease. The primary tenant, yeah. So, say all of this, you know, most of these subleases, the d- original lease for that's g- the ground for the sublease expires in 2024. Is that going to be another huge downturn in commercial real estate because they're simply not going to be renewed and the landlord's going to have all those direct subleases on their market and on their tally sheets?
1: Well, I think that's a great observation because when the landlord feels the pain, that's when they start reacting. That, that was the whole point of Steve Triolet's um, mm-hmm. article is that when that landlord sees that they are being cut from consideration because of the rental rate, now they're going to suddenly get more real on the rental rate. Well, because while
0: a landlord would always rather have a full building, if they have an empty building, but every lease is performing, it, it's it's not desirable, but it's not painful.
1: You can have a hundred percent, a hundred percent leased building with zero occupancy, right? Which a lot of buildings have these days. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole point of the Castle Systems mm-hmm. Index, thirty-five percent of people are actually they're going into the their office, badge. but guess what? 90% of the buildings are leased, or maybe not 90, mm-hmm. but 85% of them yeah. are leased, whatever the number is. And paying, and on paying. time. So there's that huge delta, and I think that is... When that comes... That's where the rubber meets the road. Mm-hmm. And we're already seeing it with what we lead led off with, the Glaxo downsize, the PwC mm-hmm. let everybody work from home. The federal government. All of those. We work... That's where the, the big story is. Yeah. The big story is the difference between how much of that office space is being used, occupied, and how much of that is leased. And, and when, when is when that... Does that burn off?
0: When when will that delta become true? I mean, when will all those subleases burn off and, and, and not when, be renewed?
1: Well, and, and, I mean, there are leases, subleases I've seen that are ten, have 10 years left on them.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: So that's why I've always said this is going to be a long-term issue.
0: But is there... A date in the future where you see most of them.
1: Yeah. I mean, the average lease term is not probably really. around five years. Yeah. Okay. So I would say that's why I've always said between two and four years is when we're really going to see, I think, the, the full impact of the coronavirus effect. On CRE. On office space, particularly. Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh, so anyway, I'm not going to go into all these other stats we've got here. Um You know, I've got all kinds of other stats, but I think we've bored the audience and made our point. It's not
0: been boring. It's fascinating. It's just I feel like we're walking around waiting for the other shoe to fall. And And we will be
1: for years to come. And it's going to be a slow fall. Yeah. And and that's where I think the smart landlords are going to get every square foot of occupancy they can get at whatever rate they can get. And the rest of them are going to try to hold hold the line and they may and end And pray
0: up new people come into the market at yep. that time that'll want it. And
1: God forbid we have an economic downturn. Right. In the middle of all this. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden we're really going to have serious problems. But, um, but that brings me up to, to the last thing on my list, which was that the way landlords are reacting to this right now is really surprising me because I'm seeing landlords that are sending me proposals for clients who are already tenants in their buildings and they're quoting us rental rates higher than what they're quoting in CoStar. So if so I is bring
0: CoStar not being kept accurate, I doubt or
1: that. are you getting hosed? No. CoStar calls these people every month to say, what are you quoting today? Okay. So if they're not updating it, they're just being lazy, leasing people. What I'm talking about is if I bring them a tenant and say, give me a quote for that tenant, mm-hmm. a new tenant in the building, I'm getting a $22 quote, let's say. And I mean, this just happened to me yesterday afternoon, a building that's quoting $22 a square foot. We requested a proposal for an existing tenant to renew their lease. I got a proposal for three years at 2350 and a five year at 23. So here's an existing tenant. The landlord's going to experience no downtime. They're not, we didn't even ask for any improvement money Mm -hmm. and they're quoting a rate higher than somebody coming off the street where they're going to have to pay tenant improvement amount money. They're probably gonna have to give free rent. Well, isn't
0: this just like a used car? They're expecting you to go back and say, "Oh no, we're not paying that. Here's what we'll pay." And y'all meet somewhere in the di- middle. I mean, well, it's still a negotiation, right? Some
1: people will say, "I left you some room to room to negotiate," but you know what? The place to start negotiating is not higher than what you're gonna quote everybody else in the world. And and we and this is a very small tenant. It's a dentist of all things. Now my. My expectation is that they're betting that because it costs so much money for a, for a dentist to move, that they're betting they can quote anything they want and the, landlord, the tenant's not going to do it. What they don't seem to understand, even though I told them, is that this tenant has been negotiating with another dental dentist to combine their practices into the other dentist's space. So if it's too expensive, he's just going to say, ah, forget it. I'm just going to go to this other guy because it's just not worth it. But we saw this exact same thing play out with a very large tenant. And this large tenant, you know, we, they, the landlord was quoting 21. Our first proposal we received from them was 22. And, again, they didn't give us much in the way of, of tenant improvement money, like 10 bucks on a five-year deal. They didn't give us any free rent. And I'm like, what is wrong with you people? Mm-hmm. And so I just don't understand why landlords are doing what they're doing When it feels like from the tenant side, they're basically saying, we don't really care if you stay or leave, or we just are betting you're not going to leave. But don't you have to know,
0: and I don't know how you decipher this, but don't you have to know a landlord's motivation? Maybe that landlord just had his mortgage called. Um, maybe he's having investors that are saying, oh, no, we're not going to do any more deals with you because you're not giving the 22% return on our money that you said you would. There, there's a lot of pressure on a landlord, and, and knowing his or her backstory, I think, helps in negotiations. Oh, for sure. I mean, the classic case is you did this last year when, thick of COVID, and we were trying to either renew or reload uh, a client, good client we'd had for years. And you knew that landlord was cash strapped, I mean broke. Yep. And so you went to them and said, "Just renew me for a year. We'll kick it down the road. You don't have to do any TIs." They had that amendment signed so fast. Yep. My skin was pulling back off my teeth. It.
1: So. You're right. I mean that that was definitely. Because you knew because that, we knew landlord, that and the, landlord. And we don't always know that uh-uh. with landlords. And so, yeah, if we know that motiv- motivation, it helps. And, and we certainly ask, um, but they don't always shoot us straight. What's more amazing to me is in that situation, it still doesn't explain why they're quoting higher than what they're quoting in the market. Unless they're trying to run you off. If they're trying to run you off. But, you know, that. Can't be the case in this situation because this building that I just referred to with the dentist has a pretty high vacancy. I mean, high, maybe 20%, 25% vacancy. Okay, so there,
0: there's no way they're insulting you and thinking you haven't done your homework and you know what the rental rate is, right? I, I know mean, the
1: leasing agent pretty well, and believe me, we're about to have a come to Jesus meeting <laughs> later today.
0: But Staff meeting?
1: It's like, all right, what am I missing? Right. And you know, I asked another leasing agent with that large building, we the large client we had talked about earlier, and I said, "What, what is with you guys? And this was before we ever got their proposal, and I was just like, why are you guys still quoting the same thing that you were quoting before coronavirus started? And he said, why should we quote anything different? We're still at 93% occupancy. <laughs> so I get that. You know, if, the, if you have 93% occupancy and you have long-term leases with good credit tenants who are not going to default— quote, anything you want on the last 7%. You're not, there's no demand for space anyway. You're not as highly likely to to get tenants. But then when your tenant who occupies 33% of the building comes and says, I'm considering staying or moving, please send me a proposal. And you give them a proposal higher than what you're quoting anybody else off the street? Well, they never thought you were serious about moving. And sadly, they were right um, that they didn't move. Uh, We seriously considered it, but they didn't actually end up moving. But we ended up with a 30% better deal from the first proposal that landlord gave us to where we ended up for our client. Not a 30% lower rental rate, but the total cash out of pocket for our client on the fir- from, from their first proposal to where we actually ended up was a 30% delta.
0: And that's because we're seeing landlords hold very firmly to their quoting price. But They might give you free rent. They might give you more TIs. They'll allow an overage on TIs to be applied toward your rent. Right. Uh, All kinds of different ways of maintaining that base rent. Right. Okay.
1: Well, I'm done. Anything else you got?
0: Nope. I think that we have disseminated enough information for today. (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of the Confessions of a Recovering Landlord podcast, where we are always brought to you by our friends at. Riata Commercial
1: Realty. Not Riata Pharmaceuticals.
0: Nope. Although there's days that Riata Pharmaceuticals <laughs> we need could pharmaceuticals. come visit Riata <laughs> Commercial Realty. And we would love it if you would give us a five-star review on Google, Stitcher, Apple, anywhere you are getting your podcasts.
1: Love you. See you next time. Bye.